All right. Praise God and good morning. It's good to see you all here uh, on this beautiful morning today. Uh, let's jump in. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right into the word uh, to go look at a look at a scripture here or a couple of scriptures here to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So turning your Bibles to Mark chapter six. We're going to start here in verse one. Mark chapter six, verse one. I'll wait for everyone to get there. All right. Mark chapter six, verse one. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he which is given to him that much that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, uh, Joseph, uh, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit in a circuit teaching. Okay, the scriptures that I really want to focus on is five and six. Okay, because Jesus, what this shows is that Jesus couldn't perform any miracles. Some translations call mighty uh, no mighty work as miracles, which if you think of a miracle is really anything that takes place when all odds are stacked against you, okay? So um, you get a, you get, you're looking for a house and you don't know how you're going to pay for it. You don't have a good job, so to speak, in your mind, or you think that your credit isn't, isn't up to par, but somehow God lines everything up and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you have a, you have a house. You're not sure that you're going to pass that exam at school or you're going to get that promotion um, at work because there's other people that are applying for that job that are internal and you think that they're better qualified for the job, but then all of a sudden you get a call and you get the offer uh, from the manager saying that I want to go ahead and hire you to this, hire you to this position. Those are miracles, okay? And what this is saying is that Jesus couldn't do any miracles, not because that he was uh, he didn't have the power or the authority to do so, but it's because uh, in verse six there because of their unbelief. Okay, so because of unbelief, he could not go out and do the things that he had done early. At this point um, in in time, Jesus had already cast out demons and performed other mighty works. Um, And in verse um, verse two there, they they, they asked the question of um, how, how is it that he's able to do such works? Um, that are such mighty works that are performed by his hands. So he's done some miraculous things already. But at this point here, all he could do is heal some people because their unbelief, uh, their belief wasn't up to a level that allowed him to operate. A good way to, to think about this would be, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Thinking about my daughter several, uh, several weeks ago, sat down with a Lego set, 150 piece Lego set, and she put it all together by herself. Now, I sat there and I watched her and I wanted to intervene, but I was going to see if she was going to figure it out. But if I wanted to intervene and she did not want me to, then we would have gotten into a struggle and I would have to rip the Legos out of her hand or something like that and override her free will to be able to get them to to be able to get the pieces together. And so what God does in, in, in our lives is he's not going to override our free will. 
So he's going to allow us to, to do the things that we decide that we want to do. And he's going to just kind of stand back and he's going to watch and he's going to watch. It's not that he doesn't have the power to do it. It's that if he does do that and he overrides us, then he's violating our free will, which he said he's not going to do. So in this case here, Jesus is not going to override their free will and the Holy Spirit is not going to operate and override people's free will when they have unbelief. The reason why that's important today is because we have to look at something that's really, really critical to our one of the things that's critical to the success of our lives as, as believers. And that's people. OK, so we're going to talk today a little bit about people. People like air are always around us. OK, sometimes you see them. Sometimes you hear them. You know, you could be living alone, but that doesn't change the fact that you have people in your neighborhood. It doesn't change the fact that when you turn on the TV, people are on TV. Or if you turn on the radio, you hear people, whether it's through music or some sort of newscast. There's people are always going to be around us. Sometimes you see them. Sometimes you hear them. In some situations, you can even smell them. OK, um, good smells, bad smells. If you've ever been on public transportation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. OK, <laughs> there's just some people that you wish that come on the bus or something and you just wish, God, I hope they don't sit next to me. OK, you know, and let's be let's be honest about that. We know that 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 that, that there's times when when we come across some of those people that even we have some ungodly thoughts when nobody's perfect. So let's not think we're holier than now in that situation. But they, they, the same way that they can bring unpleasant sense into your physical life, they can also bring unpleasant sense in the sense of in your spiritual life, okay, if you don't have the right people around you, all right? So this could happen in many different ways. It could be a lack of joy, like Pastor was talking about um, early in his, earlier in his introduction. It could be that they bring fearfulness, sadness, excessive fatigue, depression, negativity, disbelief, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. So if you're not careful of the people that you have around you, their behaviors and their belief systems could definitely impact you and your walk as a, as a Christian. OK. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at what happens if you don't have the right people in your life. What could happen when you do have the right people in your life? And I'm going to give you some practical ways to determine whether or not you have the right people in your life. OK. In business circles, they always talk about making sure that your inner circle is nice and tight, making sure that you've got the right people that are surrounding you immediate in your immediate surroundings because they're going to help you be successful. There's four different type of people that, um, that that are out there. OK, you have your BFFs or your best friends forever for those that don't know what that BFF stands for or your comrades. Sometimes these people are referred to as your brother from another mother. OK. These are the people that are so close to you that you can tell them anything. You can share something with them and you don't even have to ask them, hey, can you keep a secret? Because they know that as soon as you're done talking, they already know, yep, I'm not going to share that with anyone. Okay. These are the people that could, they could be family. They could be friends. Sometimes they consider your partner in crime, so to speak. Okay. Not that you're going out doing anything illegally, but when you see these group of people together, they know that the people that, that see you know that you're all on one accord. So whatever it is that you're going to try to accomplish is going to come to pass because you're all on the same page. These are the people that will have your back no matter what, because they are for you and they will always support you, whatever, whatever it is you're going through. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to tell you what you want to hear, but they will always tell you what you need to hear. The second type of person are friends. Okay? These are the type of people that you can have fun with, you might go out with, you might invite them to your house, you have their contact information, but you don't necessarily share the deep, dark secrets 
with them. You don't necessarily share your hopes, your dreams and your fears with them. But you do you do converse with them. You do hang out with them. You do spend some time with them and you guys do chat. Okay, it's difficult at times to be able to separate, you know, your comrades, your BFS from from your friends. But the easiest way to think about it would be and I'll use an extreme case was is uh, if you uh, if you committed a, a heinous crime, your BFF is going to back you up no matter what, where your friends might actually rat you out, so to speak. Okay, should you end up in jail, your BFF is going to come there and they're actually going to visit you where your friends are going to want nothing to do with you because they don't want you associated with their name. And they're worried about how do I look versus how do I make you a better, a better individual? OK, so the first type of person, your comrades or your best friends forever, your BFF, the second type of person or your friends, the third are acquaintances. These are the people that you only talk to because you have to. Good way to find acquaintances is you look in the workplace. These are the people that you have to talk to because that's the only way you're going to get a certain task completed or a certain project completed because your boss said, I need you to accomplish this. So now I've got to go and actually talk to them. But as soon as that project and that task is over, there's no need for you to even talk with them anymore. And you probably won't. OK. The last one is the rioter. OK. The rioters are the ones that aren't for you. They're just against everything that you're that you stand for. All right. When you talk to these people. They may do some research on your topic or oppositions about a topic that you stand for. They may do some research about the Bible if you're trying to talk to them about God. And they will find a way to find, quote unquote, facts to dispute what it is that you're trying to talk about. In your face, they may look like they're for you, but behind the scenes, they're doing everything in their power to bring you down. They don't realize that when God removes you from the situation, that it's not that you've fallen. It's the fact that God has moved you so far out of their sight that you won't have to worry about them anymore. These type of people are it's important to understand these type of people, because in your walk as a Christian, you want to be able to surround yourself with your comrades. You want to be able to surround yourself with your with your BFFs or with your besties. You want to be able to identify which ones are rioters and acquaintances and figure out how do I what kind of relationship should I have with them? OK, so one of the things we are going to talk about is I'm going to give you some actions that you can take to figure out the people that are in your life and whether or not they should be in there. One of the actions is to take an inventory of the people that are in your life. OK, really sit down and just think about, all right, who do I have in my life? Who do I talk to on a regular basis? You can even go through start by going through the contact list on your cell phone. Amen. Determine the purpose of each one of the relationships. OK, and we're going to look at scriptures that, that, that back up all of these um, actions here, but determine the purpose of each relationship. Determining that purpose, what that's going to do is that's going to help you start get a better understanding of why do I have this person in my life? What are they doing to help benefit me as a, as a, as a Christian? What am I doing to help benefit them? And should this relationship continue? You then also need to talk to God and ask him, all right, Lord, should I continue on in this relationship and to what capacity? OK, and he may tell you to commence a spiritual purge which just means that you then start saying, all right, these people on this list that are on list D or list C, however you want to list it, these are the people that I need to just start cutting out of my life so that I can really start looking at who I'm going to have access to or who I'm going to allow to have access to me because we can't always control who it is that comes into our lives. All right. Let's turn. Um, so kind of recapping here, Mark chapter six there, what you can see there is that Jesus had people that are, were around him that he couldn't control who were around him in verses five and six there. And because of that, he wasn't able to do any mighty works. 
So in your life, if you allow people to be around you that don't have faith or don't have belief or aren't aligned with you spiritually, you run the risk of not not seeing God's miracles happen in your life. So it's important to understand who those people are and figure out should they still be in your life and to what capacity. Okay. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to start in verse one. Again, the main theme of this uh, of this sermon is going to be to be careful of the company that you keep. So we want to really look at identifying the different types of people in our lives. Look at what happens when you have certain people in your life and then look at how do we actually remove the ones, if you will, from our lives that that God probably wouldn't want us to be around. All right. So Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to start here uh, in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Underline that if you don't already have it underlined. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So one way that you can determine the type of people that are in your life is to look at the people that are the closest to you or that you allow to be the closest to you. Are they imitators of God as dear children? Okay. And I love the reference that God uses here by saying as dear children, because if you look what a child does, especially as they start to grow up in their younger stages, they don't question a lot. I mean, obviously, when they start getting more concrete thinking then they start to question you and start saying why and all of those things. But as a little child, if you watch them, you simply say, come here. What are they going to do? They're going to come to you. Now, they may look at you for a minute if you're, you know, a a relative or a friend or something. They might look at you kind of strange and, you know, back away and go towards mommy and daddy or something like that. And that's normal. But as as a a parent, um, as as a parent, we all and we've all had them. You know, I think my little niece there, you know, sometimes she looks at me and just like, yeah, I don't know about you. Okay, even though she comes to my house every single week. But that's what that's what children do, because even though I'm a familiar face, I'm not a face that she sees every single day. I'm not somebody that interacts with her every single day day. And so children, what they're going to do when they see a familiar face and they have that regular interaction, you can tell them to do anything and everything and they will do it without question. So what this is saying here is that we should be be imitators of God in terms of walking with the, the example that Jesus Christ set for us without any kind of question at all. We should be doing it blindly because that's part of walking and walking in faith. Okay, Um, so verse two again. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetedness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather of giving thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person nor a covetous man who is an idolater has an, any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So if you don't, you see there in verse five, uh, actually four and five, if you're hanging around with people like this, there's no, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, of Christ and God. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into, you know, talking deep about salvation and what it means to be saved and, 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 and be believing in that as your ticket to heaven. Because God says, you know, once as long as you have to do is believe on Jesus Christ and you will and you will get you will get to heaven. 
But it's like I've said before, is if you truly believe in Jesus Christ, why are you doing the things and you're following him and he's your savior? Why would you do things that knowingly are going to make him upset with you? You wouldn't do that to a loved one. You wouldn't do that to to, to someone that you really care about. So why would you do that with, with Jesus? So if you are hanging around with these type of people, the question you have to seriously ask yourself is, is Jesus my my personal Lord and savior? Okay. So as you're going through, as I talked earlier, as you're going through this list of your, 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 your contacts and list of your friends and figuring out who should be in my inner circle, who should I allow to, to stay in my life? That's one question you should ask yourself is, do I have the people around me that are going to be imitators of God and aren't going to lead me down the path of unrighteousness? OK, verse six, again, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore. Do not be partakers with them on the line seven. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So this is saying here that if you have these these type of people, we know these type of people are out there. We know that um, that 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 they exist. We've seen them either in the workplace or you see them on, on TV. This is saying do not be partakers with them. So do not hang out with them. Do not associate yourself with them. Now, being in this world, obviously, you can't. You can't pull yourself out away from these kind of relationships. I mean, that's in terms of these type of people coming into your life. All right. You don't have control over everybody. You know, you don't live in this bubble where you can just say, I don't want person A, B, C and D in my life. They are going to come into your life. But that's where it takes some Holy Spirit guidance to figure out to what level do I let them into my life? What level do I have these inner interactions there? You know, as a strong Christian, you've got to be able to 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 see, do I have the spiritual strength to be around a bunch of people when I don't have control over it and still be able to stand out as a light? Or is or is when the numbers are against me, so to speak, if I'm outnumbered in that kind of situation because people have, have come in, can I continue to stay strong or do I then all of a sudden start to laugh at a certain joke? Do I start to start to talk a certain way because I'm more worried about how being accepted by them versus being accepted by God, 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 the father. OK, you know, I remember having conversations with people that were uh, kind of in the process of doing uh, spiritual purges, if you will, and really looking at, at at the friends in their lives. And one of the things that I said to every one of those folks was um, a question to ask yourself in the quiet time is if following God meant that I was walking alone and I had no friends, would I be willing to do that? OK. And one individual I remember in particular talking to about that uh, kind of struggled with that question a little bit. Um, and then several months went by and they actually made the decision. They started cutting people out of their lives. And the funny thing was, is that as soon as they did that, every single person they cut out, God replaced that person with somebody that was a Christian. And all of a sudden, their friend count, while it dropped drastically, they had the right people in their life and they had the quality of the relationships. OK, God started sending the BFFs, if you will, um, into that person's life so that they had the right people around them and the right people to, to support them. OK, so you cannot be partakers of um, of people that are are, are are practicing ungodliness, especially if they're doing it knowingly. OK, so verse seven again, therefore, do not be partakers with them for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Underline that. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, 
arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Okay. A lot of things um, in there to to talk about when we talk about walking, uh, walking in the light. Okay. Light and darkness. We know darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is something that is passive. It doesn't require any kind of action. It doesn't require um, any kind of forcefulness, if you will. Um, And if you think that's the case, and I don't do this, but if you think that's not the case, uh, don't pay your electric bill for several months and see if you have light in your house. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty easy to sit back and not go log online and send the payment and do all of those things. Sit back in your house and let me know if if your house is actually still lit up um, at nighttime, because I guarantee you it won't be. The electric company will definitely be cutting off your, your, your power. Okay. But to turn on the light, you need power. It requires something. It requires action. It requires you to have electricity running through your house. And then it requires you to flip a light switch to send that electricity to that bulb to actually power that bulb. Well, it's the same thing when we talk about light and darkness in terms of God and uh, God and Satan. Okay, to be walking in light requires action. It requires us to actively be seeking God's face. It requires us to actively be listening to his voice. And it requires us actively to be praying and going to church and reading our Bibles and studying. If you sit back and do none of these things, very quickly, your life will be surrounded by darkness. Okay. So it's important to understand that if we are going to walk in light, that it's not it's going to require us to do things. It's going to require us to sacrifice. All right. The Bible talks about making sacrificial praise. OK, those times when you wake up and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I do not want to go to church today. And let's not kid ourselves. We all get there on, on Sunday morning. Sometimes you just think, ah, I don't want to go there. Or if you're sitting in, in church and you're nodding off or something like that, you're just like, yes, yeah, it's easy for me to sit here, close my eyes and take a quick little nap. You know, one of those things that doesn't require any kind of action. OK, but it takes action to be able to actually get up. It takes action to be able to, to one of the things that I do is if I'm laying there and I'm falling asleep and I'm in the middle of praying or something like that and I can feel myself drifting, I'll get up and I'll walk around and I'll pray while I'm walking around. That way I don't fall asleep because I have been there and I think many of us have where you're sitting there praying and next you know you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, wasn't I just praying? And you look at the clock and it's time for you to get out of bed, you know, <laughs> because you were doing your evening prayers. The next you know, you're out like a light and you wake up and you're like, wow. Okay, you know, funny thing is I always remember where I left off at that, at that moment, too. Um, but you do realize that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I fell asleep. But it takes, some, it takes some action. You know, it's a good way to deal with that spirit of slumber as well when you're, um, when you're trying to sleep at, at nighttime. Okay. So, again, living in, in, in light versus living in darkness, it requires action. People that gravitate towards you. Usually it's because they uh, the people that come to you and they start sharing things about about themselves that you're like, why are you telling me this? Who knows this? And you're like, oh, man, I can't believe they just told me that. And you're trying to keep a straight face. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm trying to keep a straight face sometimes. So I'm sitting there and I'm cringing on the inside like, you did what? They said, you said what? Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm trying to keep a straight face on there doing that or making some silly faces um, as, as they're talking on the inside. But you realize that they're sharing those things with you because they realize that there is something different about you. They can see the light shining, but they don't know what it is. If you were in a dark room and somebody stood in the corner and turned on turned on a little flashlight or something like that, all you can see is where the light is coming from. You don't necessarily see what the light is, is lighting up. 
So when they come and they start gravitating towards you, it's because they really want to walk with you, but they don't know that they want to walk with you. And walking with you when you have that light, when they, and they come towards you, what they will see is they will see everything that you see because your light is shining outwards versus seeing that, oh, there's a light over there. So they tend to continue to walk with you because as they're walking alongside and I've got this flashlight or this light in Christ that's shining and I'm walking, see, I can see what's happening around me. They see it when they're walking with you, but when they walk away, then they're like, wait, it's dark over here. So they end up coming back and they start telling you these things about themselves that you wonder, why in the world are you telling me this? Okay, it's just because they know that when they walk with you, they see a different path than if they walk on their own. So it's important for us that if we want to be that light, that we're surrounding ourselves with people that are going to help us to brighten that light. Okay, in verse 14 there, it says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. Okay. You got to be careful about getting yourselves involved so much in other things that you miss what's happening in your own life. OK, it's easy to see what's happening in everybody else's life. It's easy to talk about other people. It's easy to go and, and meet with people and, and, and counsel them, so to speak, and give them a good word. But it's a lot harder for you to sit back and really look at well, what's happening in my own life. What's going wrong in my, in my life? Is there some darkness in there that I need to shine a light on and get out? So one of the things that you can do as you're looking at who other people are in your life is find out, do I have people in my light in my life that are going to help me increase my light and decrease my darkness? Or are they going to keep me in a state of darkness? OK, that way I'm not sleeping, sleeping behind the wheel. OK. People that are in your life also should be helping to give you things from a godly perspective. Okay. When I said earlier that your BFFs won't always tell you what you you want to hear, but they will always tell you what you need to hear. You want people that are going to be around you that are going to tell you when things are going wrong that God is in control. Okay. Whenever I've got a situation going on in my life, I do not want to hear somebody tell me, oh, I'm so sorry that that's happening. Oh, that is so bad. That is too bad. I don't want that. Give me some words of encouragement straight from the Bible. Let remind me that God is that God is on my side. Remind me that God is in control because I know that ultimately that that's going to bring back into remembrance all the things that I've experienced in, in, in my life. It's going to bring me back, bring me back to all the things that are that are said here in Scripture. So when you're looking at surrounding yourself with the right type of people, look at the ones that are going to give you some godly advice and point you back to the Scriptures to remind you that God is absolutely in control and that you will be that you will be uh, that you will be victorious. These are the same people that you should take with you when you go to battle, quote unquote, because the light in them when they're around you will help you strengthen your faith. Turn to Mark chapter five. We're going to go back to Mark here. And we're going to go to verse 21. We'll look at a couple of familiar accounts here. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, 
And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Underline, come and lay your hands on her that she may uh, that she may be healed and she will live. So this Jairus or Jairus recognized who Jesus was. And by an act of his faith, what he did was he, he told Jesus, come lay hands on her because I know that she's going to be healed. OK, so in your margin somewhere where you've underlined, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. I want you to write faith. OK, he had faith. He knew who Jesus was and he knew that Jesus could heal. OK, so this goes back to what I was saying earlier about having the people in your life that are going to give you words of en- words of encouragement. People that should tell you, don't rem- don't forget who God is. God framed the entire universe and created everything that's in existence. So if you go to him, he will deliver you. So verse 20, uh, verse 23 again. And he begged him and, and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, there were, now a certain woman had a, uh, a flow of blood for 12 years, underline 12 years, had a flow of blood for 12 years. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, I'm not one to talk um, to say that doctors aren't important. Okay, They absolutely are. But ultimately, God was the one that created science. So the question also becomes is, who do you go to when you have a pain or an ailment? Okay, Where's the first place that you should go? So I'm not saying that, you know, if you think you're experiencing a heart attack that you, you know, don't call 911 or something like that. Or if you've got some major medical emergency going on. But to say for a split second there, Lord, what should I do? It's not going to take that long at all. Okay, And as you can see here, she went and she spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. I want you to underline that if for if for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I may I shall be made well. Again, also right in your margin faith. The faith that she had was only possible because she knew who Jesus was and she believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. She knew that Jesus could heal her. So she said in her heart, if I can just touch his clothes or the hem of his garment, as some translations will say, she knew that she would be made well. Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself, uh, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude hanging, uh, multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her, uh, to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, underline this, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Okay. There's sometimes in our lives that we experience something and we give it to God, but there's no immediate response, if you will. Or there's no immediate resolution to the situation. But it's your faith in him and knowing who he is which is what's going to make you well. It's your faith in him, which is going to give you peace so you can continue on with no matter with, with whatever it is that's happening in your life. If you have the right people in your inner circle, when you share these things with them, they're going to tell you, 
Don't worry. God is going to come through. And you've heard me say that many times. God is going to come through. It might not be instantly. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next year. As you can see, she was going through this for 12 years. OK, but it will happen. OK, you got to let God do 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 his thing. So to speak. you got to sit back and you got to watch God as he works and look, look with anticipation to what's coming. Like I said before, when you're going through a trial and a tribulation, you should look at it almost like a little kid on Christmas. That anticipation of something I'm going to be getting that I'm going to like on Christmas morning when I open up those gifts. And even though you may have asked for that thing, it hits you once you actually open it and you actually see it. Okay, and I've been there. I remember getting the Christmas list, what, getting together, getting them together, what, like in July, August or something like that. You know, mom would say, need a Christmas list, need a Christmas list. And we sat down, waited for that JCPenney catalog to come in and we're fighting over who's going to get it first. And you start making this long list of stuff. And you knew that on Christmas morning that whatever it was you got, you knew it was going to be off that list. You can look at boxes and you can get an idea of what might be in those boxes. Some of us even opened up boxes and tried to retape them uh, so we wouldn't get caught. But you knew it was coming in. And as soon as you opened it, all of a sudden it just screamed. Right? I mean, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, almost losing my voice sometimes, you know, opening up those gifts because I knew I was going to get it. But it wasn't it wasn't until I actually had that thing in my hand is when it actually registered to me that, oh, my gosh, I actually got this. And I remember one time I asked for a, uh, a Transformer toy for my birthday, and I had this dream, and I can remember it vividly. I had this dream that one night my parents came home, and they walked in the door, and they handed me this Transformer. And I was so mad because when I woke up, it wasn't real, <laughs> okay? But it felt as real as day, and eventually I ended up getting it when my birthday actually came. Um, but I woke up that morning, and I was just mad. I was like, I can't believe. Actually, it wasn't mad. It was more disappointment. I, was like, I can't believe that wasn't real, you know. But it was that anticipation and, and waiting. So the people that are in your lives, your, your comrades or your BFFs, your besties, whatever you want to call them, they should be helping to remind you that don't worry, Christmas morning is coming. Okay, God is going to be giving you that gift soon. Just hang on just a little bit longer. Okay. Um, we're so in verse 34 again. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the house of the uh, from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Okay, there's some doubt. Okay. You got things going on in your life. If you don't got the right people in there, how many times are they going to tell you, oh, don't trouble that person? Even though God is telling you, you need to go reach out for help. God may be telling you to go talk to somebody. God may be telling you to go ask that person for assistance. But the devil will come in there and say, why would you trouble that person with that problem? Why would you trouble God with that problem? Don't you know he's got enough on his plate? You've asked him for 20 things yesterday, 50 things the day before that. You're up to 1,220 things that you've asked God for just in the last week, and you want to put another thing on him? Okay. You don't want to have people in your life that are going to, are, are going to do those things. Okay. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Underline that. Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loud, uh, loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. 
and they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying, was, uh, was laying, was lying. Okay. So if you notice something there that Jesus did, there's only a few people that he took with him to go into the into the house. Okay. What we see there is Jesus narrowing his inner circle. Okay. What you see there is that Jesus said, here's the three people in terms of the disciples. Here's the three people that I've charged with carrying on my work after I'm gone. I'm going to get and do some intimate training with them. I'm going to show them a little bit more about things that they can accomplish if they if they follow me. I'm going to show them these things because this is going to benefit them when I walk away. When I go back to heaven and send the comforter, they will remember these things that I'm getting ready to show them. Okay. so when you're looking at your inner circle, you got to think about how tight is this? This is the one of the spiritual purges, if you will, that Jesus has done. Because he said, I'm not taking everybody in here because Jesus knew that not everybody had the level of belief needed to allow God to operate. So he took Peter, James and John. He also took the mother and father in the room, too, because what he wanted to do is he wanted to show them. Here's who I am. Okay. sometimes God will take you somewhere and show just so he can show you who he is. But when he's working you that way and he's taking you on that on that journey, you have to ask yourself, Who am I going to take with me on this physical earth, so to speak, or on this physical earth? Who am I going to take with me into this battle? Just because you're going on, you you, you have things going on in your life and others may be sharing everything about their lives with you does not mean that you necessarily should be doing that with them. Okay, you got to be real selective of who it is you share information with and who it is you take with you into battle. I'm going to read verse 40 again. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father of, and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered, the, uh, entered where the child was laying. So you also see there, Jesus said, sorry, I'm putting you out. OK, so when you're going through the spiritual purge that we talked about earlier, look at who are the people that you need to cut out. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. Immediately, underline, immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. Okay. now I won't get into chapter six or anything like um, like that. We covered a few verses in chapter six. But if if you notice that Jesus said, don't tell anybody about what you saw. Okay. There are times when you're talking to people and you got things going on that you might need to remind them, do not tell anybody about what's going on here. Okay, and if you're telling those things to your your BFS or you're telling those things to your comrades, they will automatically know because the nature of the situation and because of lack of faith by others, they will already know not to share that with anybody else. Okay. Jesus, by only focusing on having um, Peter, James and John, this allows allowed him to have, like I said earlier, an intimate training session, if you will, with people that he trusted closely. In the business world, they tell you during strategic planning that you should only focus on two to three things that you can accomplish over the course of the next year to three years, sometimes even up to five years. All right. If you ever spoke with anybody that talked about planning your life, they tell you set some goals that you could accomplish over the next year, one year, two years, three years, and only pick two or three things. 
The reason being is because that allows you to have enough energy and enough focus to be able to do those things really, 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 really well versus on taking too much. And then when you take on too much, you become overwhelmed and nothing actually gets accomplished. So here you see Jesus saying, all right, I'm going to focus on these three right now and I'm going to show them some things that they can do. Later on in verse six, it talks about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples and he gave them power over unclean spirits. Okay, so they got to see Jesus in action and they've seen him um, cast out demons before. But now he's taking them to another level and saying, I'm going to show you that if you believe here's a miracle that you can do. It's one thing to lay hands on people to, to, to heal them and make them better. It's another thing to have Jesus walk in there and say, wake up. And the person actually wakes up. OK, you also see there in verse 40 that he was ridiculed when he said that huh? she's not dead. She's asleep. So when you're telling people your problems or you're thinking about telling people some problems that you have going on in your life, the question you got to ask yourself is if you tell them that the child is, is not dead, but sleeping, what's their response going to be? If they're going to ridicule you, chances are they probably shouldn't be in your inner circle. OK, they may offer you some unsolicited advice. They may offer you to, to slow down and think things through a little bit. They may offer to you to they may tell you the things that, or they should tell you the things that you need to hear, but they definitely won't be ridiculing you. OK. And if they do, you should probably run away from them as quickly as possible. Right? So you can't always control who enters into your life. So we must always look at covering ourselves with the blood of Jesus and ask God to guard our spirit, uh, guard our spirits. So that we can be on guard from any attacks of uh, any attacks of the enemy. So in determining who should be in your life to kind of recap where we are at this point. We saw in Mark chapter five here, 37 through 40, we saw that Jesus kind of took an inventory of some of the people that were in this particular battle. OK, he got rid of the ones that he didn't want to go along with this particular battle and only kept the ones in that he knew had the faith needed to see uh, to see him through the, uh, this particular situation. In a way, he also made a determination of the purpose of these relationships. So he knew that Peter, James and, um, and John there, he knew that they were going to go on and, and be some of the disciples to carry on uh, to carry on the work that Jesus did after he after he went home to be with the father. And he decided to take them along for this for this next battle to give them some additional uh, additional training. He was strengthening their relationship by going through this with, with God, and he knew that their faith was not going to, quote unquote, weaken his ability to perform a miracle. Okay. In that moment, he did a, a quick little purge because he knew who was going to he knew the right people to take along with him. All right. So when you're working, when you're going through like this spiritual purge, make sure that you are seeking God's face. Make sure that you're asking him, what's the purpose of the relationship that I have? Should it continue on? And what fashion should it continue on? OK, a good way to determine whether or not, you know, you should continue on with a relationship is. Are you worried more about your status by being associated with that person versus how you're benefiting from them from a spiritual perspective? OK, Facebook is a great example or social media is a great example. How many people out there have, you know, a million people on their friends list, but they don't actually know all those million people? It's because they did something or said something and, oh, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. It's their popularity that allows them to, to, to be followed. But if those same people saw that individual in the street, they wouldn't pay them, pay them any kind of mind. OK. So who do you have in your life? Do you have people like that, that you just want to be known that you know them? 
Do you think it's cool to be able to say, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Matter of fact, here, let me give you their phone number. And you pull out your phone and you've got that contact information that's in there. That's probably not a good relationship to continue on with because now it becomes about you and it doesn't become about God. Now it's about your pride and how you look to people versus about what God thinks of you. Okay. Again, you don't have always have control over people who are in your or that come into your life. But if you're always seeking God, he will tell you the purpose of why they are in your life. I can think over the years that I've had so many people that have come in and out of my lives. Um, how does that saying go? Friends, friends, they come and go. Right. Kind of thing. And I've had lots of people that have come into my life, lots of people that I just said, eh, I'm going to go down this direction and they're going to go down that direction. And we've lost contact over the years. To me, it's no big deal. If I saw some of them again, I'd probably say, hey, how's it going? They would bring some happiness when, when I see them and we would get we would, we would catch up on things that we've missed over the years. But after that, I don't know how much we would keep in touch unless God laid it on my heart that, yeah, you need to you, you need to keep in touch with this uh, with this particular individual. OK, you know, um, I'll share a, a story with you guys uh, when you think about how having the right people in your life, especially over the over uh, over a course of many, many years, how it can help you in situations when 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 it seems like all hope is lost or, or when uh, things are, are pretty challenging. You know, several months ago, I remember I was sitting downstairs watching TV and uh, my wife was at work. Kids were upstairs asleep. And as someone that has played sports just about their entire life um, playing football, you know, I know, I know pain, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with it. Um, but I have a high tolerance for pain. Well, you know, one night I was sitting down watching TV and um, this pain hit my stomach that was absolutely horrendous, a pain that I've never, ever, ever felt before um, in my life. And the first thing I did was I quickly said a prayer. I started binding up that spirit of infirmity. I started binding up that spirit of stomach pain and everything. And then I asked God, I said, Lord, what should I do? OK. And I waited and waited for him to, for him to tell me. And he told me, yeah, go ahead and, and, and call and call a 911. And as I'm waiting for the paramedics to get there, okay, one of the things I remembered was stay focused on God, stay focused on God, stay focused on God. He'll deliver you. He'll deliver you. So I just kept binding up that spirit of infirmity. I kept saying, by Jesus stripes, I, I am healed. Okay. At one point, as I was, as I was upstairs waiting for them to, to show up dealing with this pain, um, I distinctly heard, if you lay down on the ground, this will all be over. Okay. So I knew in that moment, oh, if I lay down on the ground, it's all going to is all going to be over. And that moment when I heard that, all of a sudden, I could I could start remembering everything from my life growing up. Okay, I started having all these memories about things that happened in my in, in my life, and I knew what that meant. If I laid down, this all be over. So I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And I stood up as tall as I could, and I stay and I kept standing up, and I kept praying, and I kept praying. Paramedics showed up and we were in the ER for several hours. If you ever been to the ER on a Friday night, you know, you're going to be there for quite some time. But in that moment, in that time, I remember God telling me, he said. You remember those times I woke you up at three o'clock in the morning to talk to you? He said, do you remember those times when you went downstairs with your Bible and you started feeling that fear? And I, and I reminded you to bind up that spirit of fear. He said part of that was in preparation for this moment that you have going on right now, because there was no fear that I had during that time. None whatsoever. Was it painful? Yes. Did it take a while? It seemed like it took eternity, even though it wasn't that long um, for me to get help. Yes, it did seem like that. But during that entire time, there was no fear. I wasn't worried because I knew that God was going to was going to get me through it. 
I didn't know how long it was going to take, but I knew that he was he was going to deliver me. I started remembering the things that I heard in church and Bible studies over the years and talking with people um, that, that, that are strong, Holy Spirit filled Christians and knew that, yeah, this is just one of those attacks. He also reminded me, he said, do you remember what you were doing when this attack happened? And what I was doing was I was watching a, a, a powerful man of God on TV um, um, preaching. And it wasn't less than a half a second after he said that blessing never comes without a curse, so to speak. In other words, what he was saying is that anytime God blesses you, it's not like you're going to get this blessing and you don't have to fight to keep it. But something um, something is going to happen and you got to be on your guard. And that day. God delivered me from a situation. And as soon as I sat there and I heard that, the pain just came out of nowhere and just and just hit me. And that's what God was showing me. He said, he said, remember this. OK, he said, I will bless you with things, but you have to be on guard. Don't be asleep on the at the wheel just because I gave you I gave you a blessing. And he started bringing back to remembrance all the things, all the training that I've had over the years, if you will, by dealing with with with, with um, all sorts of trials and tribulations. And he brought me in the remembrance. He said, this is why. I have you study. This is why I wake you up this early. And this is why you need to be obedient to my to my calling, because who knows what would have happened if those times when he woke me up and he was waking me up at three o'clock in the morning for months and months, going to work, putting in 12 hour days, coming home and, 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 and hanging out with the family, going to bed and then doing the same thing over and over and over again. For a while there, I was only running on about three to four hours of sleep. But I knew that by I knew that that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God gave me that strength over and over again over all this time in preparation for that moment. But if I would have had the people around me or if I didn't have the right people around me over the over the years, having some good Holy Spirit filled Christians reminding me of who God is and teaching me about who who God is and always encouraging me to, to see God's face in all things. That night could have gone very, very, very differently. OK, the situation that God delivered me from that e uh, earlier that day could have also gone very, very, very differently. So I say to you today. Do you have the right people that are in your life? Are you being real careful about the company that you that you keep so that when you do find yourself in a challenging situation, they will give you the things that God wants you. They will tell you the things God wants you to, 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 to do. And then you will actually do those things. OK, because the one thing about a comrade is that whenever they give you advice about something, your mindset is, huh. I think that could work. Or I don't know how that's going to work, but how do I do that? You start to have an inquiring mind versus acquaintances, friends or rioters giving you advice. That kind of advice you should be poo pooing right away. You should be pushing that out immediately. Your comrades and your, your, your BFS, when they're giving you advice, if you've got the right Holy Spirit filled Christians around your life, you should then be saying, OK, Lord, I heard this advice. How do I do it? What do I do? Or ask them some additional questions. And I remember over the years that that night as I was sitting there um, in the ER, I remember thinking about over the years, all the things that I've come across and I've gone and I've asked those questions. OK, I've asked those things and say, oh, yeah, they give me unsolicited advice. And I'm thinking, OK. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, boy, I see it. OK, you know, so make sure you've got the right people in, in your life. So just a quick last recap here as we close actions to take in determining the people that are around you and who should be around you. Take an inventory of the people uh, in your life, just the same way Jesus did in this uh, in this moment with this little girl who everybody said was dead. And Jesus said that they were that she was just asleep. 
Determine the purpose of these relationships to make sure that you know why you have these people in your life. Find out whether or not they're going to bring you closer to God or push you further away from God. And are you doing the same with them? Then ask God to help you commence a spiritual purge by determining to and and determining whether or not you should continue on with a relationship and in what fashion. Okay, and if you do those things, what you will start to see is that there are some people that God is going to have in your life that are going to be there for the long haul for every single battle. And there's some people in your life that God is telling you, you need to just leave them alone. Okay. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now let's prepare to honor God as we close with it, uh, with our tithes and offerings.